Hello again and welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre, I'm a lecturer in literature here at Campion College. Created by the show's namesake, Jerry Seinfeld and fellow comedian Larry David, the sitcom Seinfeld ran for nine seasons between 1989 and 1998, and now sits in the rarefied echelon of genre-defining television classics. Despite containing many of the superficial ingredients familiar to viewers of network comedy, a studio audience, a group of bantering friends discussing the pitfalls of work and dating, a wacky next-door neighbour... Seinfeld would go on to blow up many of the conventions of its format. The show defied sentimentality. It refused to let its audience sympathise with its four narcissistic leads. It eschewed traditional will-they-won't-they romance plots and hacky, stuck-in-an-elevator narrative conventions. Instead, with a philosophy of no hugging, no learning, the show was concerned with the lives of four narcissistic 30-something New Yorkers. Jerry, a fictionalised version of the real-life comedian... George, Elaine, and Kramer, whose myriad personality flaws and selfish tendencies frequently left a trail of suffering in their wake. To discuss this revolutionary series, its genius, its impact, its defiance of convention, I'm joined today by a full panel of fellow Campion College lecturers and colleagues. Steve Shavura, lecturer in history, Stephen McInerney, lecturer in literature, Amitabh Islam, lecturer in philosophy, and Anna Hitchings, media and communications officer. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> so, Seinfeld is frequently described, even by itself, in its highly metatextual fourth season, as being a show about nothing. Um, but I might throw this over to you, uh, Steve, first. Do you think that's fitting? Is that a, a suitable description for the show? Or? Well, it's interesting that even George and Jerry couldn't quite agree on whether it was about nothing and what nothing meant. So I'm reminded of the famous episode where they go to pitch their show to NBC. And um, you know, George and Jerry say, well, you know, it's a show about nothing. And the first question that Dalrymple, the CEO, asks is, what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, in some ways, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess philosophically it can't be really about nothing, uh, although some shows you sort of wonder. But uh, maybe it's more accurate to say that it's about the trivial things in life that actually do wind up becoming the most important things in our life when we actually reflect on the things that matter to us on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Mm, that's a really good description. Minutia, you mean? Like the, the sort of those smaller the issues. That, yeah, that define us and, and that surround us constantly, but they never really get pushed through the, the lens of the sitcom format. That's right. I mean, the, the little things that happen that really and truly define not just how we think of ourselves, but you know, more importantly, how we think of other people. I'm reminded, for example, of that episode where George is dating this you know, beautiful, lovely woman. And he buys Elaine the big salad. (laughs) He pays for this salad. Yet when the exchange takes place, when the salad is handed over to (laughs) Elaine, uh, George's girlfriend actually hands the bag over. And Elaine thanks the girlfriend. And the girlfriend fails to say (laughs) that in actual fact she didn't pay for this. It was George. So that George wound up not getting the thanks that he was due. (laughs) And this, of course, destroys uh, her reputation in his eyes. (laughs) Uh, something so small but something that actually wound up profoundly important for the way that George saw this woman absolutely yeah this is why I love George so much (laughs) he like brings out all the worst tendencies that I think are harboring in all of us and yeah I mean it is he should have got credit for it 
He well, yeah, absolutely <laughs> should. Should. <laughs> I, my point. And you're right. It's why it's why that the concept of exploring the minutiae of these things is so uh, resonant and so impactful because it seems silly. It, it seems uh, minute, but it does, as you said. Uh, have a ripple effect. It, it changes profoundly the way in which people interact with one another. And the, the show is able to make manifest those moments. Um, obviously, to put it in you know, very pithy and, and sharp dialogue as well, but, but actually just to play out those... Uh, I don't want to sort of lean into this already, but I always think of it as like a philosophical language game mm. or something. I always... well, well, this is worth bringing in, actually. Um, not so much the language game material yet, but so when we talk about nothing in this context, actually, it's what what's meant is nothing salient, nothing that people normally yeah. focus on, right? Uh, explicitly, but it is something in another deeper sense because it's what we focus on unconsciously. So it's what's present to us in our form of life, as you were about to say, you know. Um, so when George and Jerry say that the show is about nothing, what they're trying to get at is that it's nothing that that you would be able to articulate straightforwardly. But it's 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 very much like the um, there's a, a bit in in Sartre's uh, being in nothingness I think where he's talking about the the notion of nothing and the notion of um, when you uh, that, that from a certain point of view nothing can be something you know so you go to a cafe and you're looking for your friend and your friend isn't there but the fact that your friend isn't there becomes something in that kind of kind of context mm. because it, it raises to a certain sort of salience. So part of what the nothing is about is is that the the, the the things that George and Jerry notice are firstly they're they're minutiae in the sense that they're not the object of attention most of the time to most people, but they're symbolic of, of larger structures, right? So in a larger sense, they're actually they're actually they loom very large in hmm. in, in in people's lives, and um, and then also they're they're sort of abstract. The analysis is kind of abstract, and people find it hard to focus on abstract things while George and Jerry naturally yeah. sort of kind of uh, find salient these 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 mm. these abstract aspects of, it, of human interaction so the fact that it matters right whether you um, hand the, the whether you hand the, the salad yeah. that you paid for over whether someone else does most people would it would it would fly under the radar but for them it, it looms very large and this relates to another thing which is um, Actually, I don't know much about this really, but apparently in sociology there's this term Garfinkling, I think, um, which is where you... Is it Simon and Garfunkel? No, 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 no. no, no. That's <laughs> right, Simon and Garfunkel. You're just along for the ride, <laughs> yeah. harmonising. Yeah, I see yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I, I hesitate to bring this up because I know nothing about it, but what I've been told at some point is that, that an example of this would be um, if you're trying to work out what the, what the meaning of a social, certain social action is, you change one element of it and see what people's reaction is. So mm. Mm. you go onto a bus and instead of handing the change to the person the normal way, you put the change on the back of your palm and hand it to the, <laughs> to the bus driver. Mm. Um, this is before Opal cards, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, and you get a bizarreness reaction. So clearly that, that, that whether you put the 
mm. where you put the money is 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 relevant socially somehow. So, so an example is oh sorry, Colin. No, so so it's not just freaking out the squares. Like you're you're trying to get a look. I don't know why I'm ringing this up. <laughs> no, no, but it relates to the Snickers bar and using a knife and fork. Right. Sudden, yes. doesn't it? I mean, exactly, something yes. that every suddenly yeah, everyone some, starts doing it, yes. but no one had thought to do it. Right. Except right. this one person, and it's bizarre when you first see it. Right. But actually, when you're watching it by the end of the episode, it's become dessert, and you think that's well, I do. That's acceptable. <laughs> if it was a piece of cake and they were using a fork. Look, I'm, I'm all for eating sneakers and knives <laughs> and forks. You don't get the chocolate on your fingers. You don't have to find a faucet to wash your hand under later on. You That's know? right. But yeah. you can use the wrapper. There is, that, there is yeah. that possibility. Yeah. Is the reversal of this social behavioural expectation, is the reversal of that, say, that Elaine doesn't like the English patient? Is it kind of like that? Like mm. she defies... The, the communally yeah. accepted kind of behavioural pattern and then the frisson that comes from that is... No? Or, yeah, no, I think or, so. Yeah, well, Kramer right. is the incarnation of the reverse of that. That's great. His yeah. lifestyle, um, just the way he carries himself, the things well, he's, a he pod. he's a pod. He's a pod. You see, you're not normal. <laughs> that's yeah, what he that's said. Right, yeah. Yeah. We humans, we feel embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he doesn't wear the, the tuxedo to the opera and, and, and you know George turns up with this tuxedo and, 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 and he said, looks at Kramer and says, you're not wearing a tuxedo? And Kramer says, no. And he says, you said people wear tuxedos to the opera. And Kramer says... People do. <laughs> I don't. I think this is maybe one of the charms of Seinfeld, though, is that even though they take these trivial things to a seemingly trivial things to a really, to really like way out of proportion, um, they're things that I think all of us care about, maybe privately, but we've kind mm. of learned just through sociability mm. to not actually bring those up yes. or make, make a bigger deal out of those things. So it's it's kind of weird in that like the things that they're suffering from are relatable, even if the mm. characters are not. Yeah. Can I, can I just not to nitpick, but um, because I totally agree with what you said, but just that notion of um, proportionality. Yes, you said because they. I don't think they blow it up out of proportion. What I love uh, about the show is that they're just willing, like real people do to, to sit around and talk about the connotations and the, and the different yeah, yeah, pros so this, and cons. But maybe that's because what, that's what normal people Exactly. Do. Maybe I, the I reaction get... is blown out of proportion. Maybe that's what I mean. Or, or maybe because it's on television, that question of proportionality and the notion of nothingness comes up. Because if you're watching television as the executives kind of indicate um, when they're responding to, to Jerry and George's proposal... Um, there's this expectation that if it's on TV, it has to be big and meaningful. Mm. You know, why am plane I watching crashes it? Because and... it's on TV. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but another element of it also is that I think they're pushing back against the idea that this sort of take on life is a symptom of neurosis. Yeah. People tend to think of it as a neurotic thing, and I've I've had some people I, I know say to me they don't like Seinfeld or get it because. You know why? Why are these people obsessing over over, mm. over stuff that doesn't matter so much? And it, it irritates them. Um, but I think that what what the show brings out is that that this is a, a mode of life that some people experience. Yeah. You know, and not just and, Woody Allen, but like no, actual and, people. But, but really, it's it's broader than. But it's than, indebted, than, isn't it, to Woody it, Allen? It, truly, it's yeah. very indebted to Woody, oh, yes. Woody Allen. But it's broader than that. It's 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 really um, just analysis that they're engaged in. basically. Yes. right. There's nothing yeah. more than that, right? So it's, it's actually quite a respectable thing to be doing, right? Which is taking things that, that, that are there under the surface. It's, it's philosophy, basically. Taking the appearance yeah. and trying to find the reality underneath mm. there. It's exa- and it also, it's the idea of the examined life, right? Yeah. So, you know, Socrates says that the, you know, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. And this is, 
the examined life sort of taken to the end yeah. degree, right? Examined not quite logically and philosophically, but genuinely analysed, you know, so it's very, very interesting. Well, this is what I, I sort of tiptoed up to before, is that when I watch... When I watch Seinfeld, it's all Wittgenstein to me. It's, it's language mm. games. It's why I think that the show has such a capacity and it has exhibited itself as so capable of coining phrases um, because it, it enacts these language games, as Wittgenstein would suggest we need to do in examining the grammar of our language, and, and it plays them out o- over the course of its script with the character's again, unpacking the connotations of, of these notions. So when you get things like shrinkage or master of my <laughs> domain or the switch or, uh, you know, yada, 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 they're enactments of uh, these moments that, that we've all felt mm. or, or that we all uh, instinctively understand but have never quite uh, found a phrase. Well, another, yeah, or, that's so true. Or another angle on that is just that there's a form of life we all engage in and it's got certain structures in it and we're... We're all implicitly aware of them by virtue of being able to navigate those structures. Mm. And then what's very striking and, and, and amusing is when people bring those unconscious structures yeah. or, or implicit structures to consciousness, and that's what they keep on doing. And that's just analysis. So it's not so much that they're creating the form of life exactly, or maybe they're, they're, they're extending it, but they're not so much creating it. It's just, just laying bare its stru- the structure of the form of life we all live, and that's... That's um, that's what we call insight, and it's very, very, you know, very striking. But I think there is, in some sense, you know, that sort of notion that something isn't quite real until it's named. Yes. Mm. There is that sort of bringing into yeah, reality yes, yes, yes. Um, of Seinfeld because yeah. these things weren't things before Seinfeld actually yeah. made them so, and now you've got these phrases that actually come into like I literally talk about close talkers and super Nazi. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Probably the Germans have words for all these. But if you don't have Germany, you've got Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so there is a nominalist element to it as well, which is what you're putting out, which is that to the extent, you know, maybe the phenomenon is there and recognisable, but once it's named and then has a sort of a, an explicit life, then it, um, it, it's solidified and becomes more discreet and more, more, uh, just more solid in some, in some way. Going back to your original question about is it a show about nothing... That does tie into the episode where Jerry is thinking of getting married, and oh, yeah. maybe I've got the episode mixed up. But there's a there's a scene where Kramer says to Jerry, "You think there's something more?" And he says, "I've got news for you. You know, there's there's not." And in that sense, I think the show actually does. I, I feel that the the writers anyway do have a worldview yeah. that life is meaningless, and yeah. that, that actually. Yeah, I, I do. That, and that, yeah. Well, I think when that, that, that was one of the... Was that one of the sort of the later seasons? That was the final episode of season seven and the last mm. episode, aside from the finale... With Larry, Larry David. David wrote. Yeah. So, so I, to I me, think, that's, that's yeah. actually where the, the, naturally where the series should have ended. Yeah. And I think it actually does culminate in a statement about mm. existence and its purpose or lack of purpose. You think that's where the series should have ended? I think it naturally oh. ends with Susan's death and that they're yeah. looking away. Yes. Yeah. I think that's mm. the perfect yes. artistic resolution of the of the show the, fi- the final two nine, yeah. i mean the yada 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 um it's like an after party the yeah. rest yeah. you know it's, thing... it's good but it's a different <laughs> that's piece. right there are there are gems but it's mostly coal yeah. But, yeah but the thing that 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 Stephen just said i think is very true that the the things that they concentrate on and the things that energize them are you know a variety of random sort of obsessions and ticks and and, yeah. and and it is neurotic a lot of the time 
And so what they're missing is the sense that although that your life fits into something with a telos, you know, that there's a mm. that there's a, a, a really larger meaning to it that, that can give you some sense of satisfaction rather than a neurotic sort of pressing on the nerve mm. all the time. You know? yeah. yeah. Even the statement, you know, that whole thing about marriage, man made prisons and all of that, it does feed into this larger, larger issue. I think yeah. that there's there is no Telos. Well, it seems yeah. to me one of the, the brilliant things that runs from beginning to end, and it relates to this idea of a telos, is just how fragile uh, our social bonds are. Mm. I mean, you can be very, very good friends, but the smallest thing can utterly destroy <laughs> Hate the Drake. <laughs> and if you actually are living from moment to moment uh, without some sort of long-term vision of what a good life is then in actual fact, our social bonds can be very easily destroyed as soon as something comes along that's irritating enough for you yeah. to sort of hate wow. someone. So I'm just, it just strikes me that the, the first and last line of the entire show, you know, that, that button, the button, yes. the second button makes or breaks the shirt is a perfect encapsulation yeah. of that very principle. Right? Yeah. Wow. I think that, that also, it's not entirely a matter of decision on their part or, or sort of vice on their part that they're, that they're oriented this way. There's something, I think, about atomized big city living that makes people <laughs> tend in that sort of direction. Yeah, yeah well, the New York almost is like another character, like a fifth character right, in, right. The, in the oh, show. Yeah. Yeah, Which is. is so surreal for a show. I mean, blatantly filmed in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. You never even see the city, really. No, they have that they one street that they walk down. <laughs> it's basically, yeah. But it feels like you're in New York. It does, yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. But also, the, the, the characters have a lot of options. Like, there's a... There's a standard analysis of modernity right which is that it that traditional constraints are freed up you know that you get you, instead of growing up all your life in a in a small village with established traditions and established customs so you ha- so you have a lot more options you know um to take a trivial example you know in in traditional society you're eating one style of food all your life and that's just all you eat because that's all you know in contemporary Sydney or New York or San Francisco or wherever, you are you, you have a, a panoply of different cuisines to choose from every day, and so you're Except not wedded. Pakistani, yeah, So you're not wedded to any particular one. So you can hop from one thing to another. You have no need for loyalty, basically. So mm. the, the lack of loyalty that these people show is partly a, an artifact of their options, right? There, despite the right. fact that they're so lame, they're hyperverbal. That will every you know every time. Jerry or George breaks up with one girlfriend. There's another one just a week later. High functioning sociopaths. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they eat peas one at a time. Right. So, so you know, if she you, talks if to you, food. so there's a, there's a. But what's interesting is we normally think of having options as a positive thing, but clearly in their, it's not making them their lives any happier. Yeah. You know, and I mean, obviously, this isn't a, a, a wholesale argument against liberalism and options, but it's it. It's it's one of the pathologies that can be associated with some forms of lack of constraint, right? Gosh, the show wow. seems so nihilistic when viewed through this lens. I never really thought about it quite like that. Oh, before. you didn't get it until now. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. No, I think you, it's one of the things you kind of unconsciously pick up on, but the whole idea of it, have, of it not having a telos actually makes me see it all in a very new light. And it's kind of surprising that it manages to sort of navigate the straits between humour and nihilism quite expertly, I think. Which I think actually, I'm, I'm so sorry to cut you off there, but uh, actually then puts in context Jerry's 
relationship with I forget her name, but Janine Garofalo, basically the, the genie, isn't it? Yeah, the, the female version no, of himself. Yeah, it's genie, I think. That's the yeah. only person that he could theoretically mm. end up with because yeah. it's just him. But he can't stand her. He hates her. Yeah. Well, but now not I found what I've been looking episode, for in my though. life myself, right. and yeah. I've swept me off my feet. <laughs> But it's only when they they come back for that season that they they um, you know, play that I hate card. You. Like the the, the yeah. ending scene, or the one potential ending of the show, seems to be that yeah, the only person that he could ever be satisfied with is a person who shares literally exactly his tastes and dispositions, and everyone else fails that test. It's narcissism. Yes, he's in, he's literally looking into the water and seeing himself. <laughs> uh, but as as we as you said, the, the show sort of continues with that and he realises consciously or not that actually what he sees he detests and that, oh, yeah. that's, that's one of the things I think that sort of constitutes the genius of the show I, I do think that it, there is a, a, a kind of nihilism about it but I don't know that the show glories in this nihilism or no. romanticises it they're um, not meant to be the hero that's right you, you, you're not meant to envy these people no. uh, for example you know that, that moment of of truth where George and Jerry are just sort of saying, you know, where have our lives gone? What are we doing with ourselves? You know, what do you want to be doing in 20 years' We're time? We're not men. We're not men. In 20 years' time, I want to be sitting here having dinner with my son. Yeah. Which is, of course, exactly what they should be doing in yeah. 20 years' time. And, and these, these, you know, these are moments of honesty in the show. Well, this whole thing about Jerry, you know, Kramer says he has a Peter Pan complex, feeds into that. And, you know, the Superman... Images yes, everywhere, yeah. eating cereal, eating yeah. cereal, the sneakers, sneakers. Yeah. but it all feeds into that. That the boy who who doesn't want to grow up. Yeah. But there is also something I have to say when you watch it, and I remember even as a young man watching it, thinking I really do like his life. I thought there was something really wonderful about his life and the freedom that it afforded, and just travelling around, giving shows, you know, making observations every now and then, and having fun. I mean, it. it uh, so even though it. it there's something that, you know, when you say you're not supposed to find it attractive, I think there is something in it that is attractive. Yes. But also I think that as, as time went by with the series, the pathologies became more clear-cut as pathologies as opposed yeah. to sort of... Yeah. Um, but, but To but, the point of them being caricatures by yes, the end of it. that's but yeah. right. But also I, I don't think, though, that, that there's some um, implicit moral there that, that there is really a telos to life and that they're not recognising it. I think... It's it is a it is a bleak vision and a nihilistic vision where you know, Larry David recognises the pathological effects of living in this way, but thinks of it mm-hmm. as this is just what reality requires. There's nothing there's nothing more to it. Um, you can be deluded mm-hmm. right, and believe in in, in something higher um, to orient your life around, but really all of that is is whenever there's there's the occasional moment when there's that episode where for some reason or other um, Jerry gets all sentimental he, he, he lets out some emotions and it's not a great episode. it's not a great episode but but he he, he for a while there tries to make real connections and mm. you know, and, and and proposes to Elaine and and tries to really, and then really listen. And the big mistake he makes is really listening to George, <laughs> who then is, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, we keep coming back to nihilism. Maybe the real word to describe the show is sort of agonistic. It, it, it recognizes mm. sort of the allure of the meaningful life of relationships, but also the meaning, the, the, the life without meaning, that you're sort of free from relationships and you have that. But, but in the show, constantly these things sort of 
butt up against one yeah. another. I mean, look, there is a dialectic, but I think that the the, the weight of insights are on the mm-hmm. on the on the side of the, the nihilistic mm-hmm. reading. Isn't couldn't it be argued though that it's their lack of insight that leads to that? Um, just because I don't get the sense that the world itself is nihilistic and bleak. It's just that they are so mm. blinkered and so yes. inward but, but looking. The, but the people, I don't think that the implicit moral of the show is that, oh, well, if they only realise that they should settle down and have, raise families and, 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 and you know, mm, eat no. organically, then, then everything <laughs> would be great. It's not that they're I not recognising something. It's just that they're responding pathologically to the, the lack of a transcendent... Mm. But you, as the audience, don't want that. You kind of don't want them no, to find no. their happy endings either. No, no. It's the rule of television. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, there's that great scene, sort of on that topic, on sort of where Elaine goes, sort of uh, into one of the boroughs to visit her girlfriends who've all had babies. Is that the come and see the baby? Yes, I mean, it could be that one. But, but they're talking about their children, you know, and it smells good because it comes out of your baby. <laughs> so they're talking about their children, the, the most meaningful things in their lives, arguably the most meaningful thing in life. And then Elaine says, I had a piece of white fish the other day that you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, what the great thing about Elaine, right, is that she, I guess this is a standard remark, but she, you know, it's a real innovation uh, having a woman who is um, oh, yeah. who's not somehow representing sort of groundedness or earthiness yeah. at yeah. some level. Yeah, or she's wisdom. cold. You know, she's, she's, <laughs> as, yeah. she's, she's not the maternal. She's as pathological as they are in her own way, which is which is wonderful. And yeah. it's it's uh, it's in, it's it's an important sort of um, blow for 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 writing women as people that you allow allow. You know, um, representations, and as, she forced as, them as, that on them. I think the actress. Oh, really? Oh, for, yeah, yeah. she was Julia Louise Dreyfus complaining that she was never Give, getting, getting enough time and so on. And oh, wait, on the show or previous to? No, no, no. When they were doing the first season and they introduced her and so on, she started to get annoyed that they weren't giving her oh, lines. Right. That's Final lines, yeah. Yeah, so she pushed it. You know, and that's good. Mm. Although I have to say, I'm not sure what this says about me, but as an unmarried woman, I definitely sympathise with Elaine in particularly the that scenario when everyone's talking about their babies, and mm. it can get very well. There's that wonderful irritating. The pediatrician where the pediatrician says that she's breathtaking. <laughs> she's breathtaking. <laughs> and then says the same thing about the ugly baby. The right. ugliest baby you've ever seen. Well, the, the character of Elaine does represent one of the incredibly revolutionary things that the show. Did. Are there any other sort of things or elements of the program that strike you that really redefined the way that television was functioning at the time? Like, I'll throw into the mix personally for, for a show that had a sense of its own televisual elasticity, so the characters would kind of snap back to their original state after half an hour. It was kind of revolutionary for the way that it would run these narratives in the background, like Crazy Joe Devola and, uh, and, yeah. and uh, like Kramer's uh, jacket. That, subplots. Yeah, and, and yes. then it turned into season arcs like the creation of Jerry, the show, yes. or um, George's uh, engagement, things like that. That wasn't very common yeah. in sitcoms. Or, just or to even to refer to things that happened in previous episodes. Exactly, yeah. Like building that. a universe around these characters. Well, I think that really, I mean, there's more sort of concrete formal things you can say which I wouldn't know about but the the, the general dif- the big difference is is not underestimating your audience or yeah. treating mm. your audience mm. like they'll get this stuff basically yeah. so that the is gen- so true the, the general line with, with 
with sitcoms was to play it safe and, and, and assume a lowest common denominator. And they thought, well, just go for it. Yeah. And, and, and why it works is because it's not really that, that everyone is getting all the ideas um, or understanding them. It's that, 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 that the people who don't are getting the joke at a different level. Yeah. Right? So, so, you, so most of the jokes work at a number of different levels. That makes sense because I remember the first time I encountered someone who didn't like Seinfeld. Mm. I was I, I was flabbergasted, like mm. I couldn't understand. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like? She's like, oh, I just don't find it funny. I'm like, but how? How can you yeah, not yeah. find it funny? I just don't get that. Like, I always find it hilarious because it does. I mean, you're right. It, it gives you that superficial level. They're like, hello, just, just, Newman yeah, and just, Kramer just, busting through a door. And just and wacky and, events. Yeah. And so the, uh, you the can slapstick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that works, and the, and the physical humor is is a big part. But of But then yeah. beneath that is, as you said, like the things that. I mean, there's always that idea that um, television is basically just picture radio. You know, it's just something that's in the corner of the room while you're doing the ironing or cooking a meal or something. Yeah. Um, but Seinfeld just presumed that you would actually be listening to the dialogue and, and paying attention to the mm. way in which these people were relating to each other. So it, yeah, it approaches high art in a way that yeah. no other sitcom has. I think well, while never forgetting because you want to keep going back to it in yeah. the way that you do to a great yeah. book or a poem or always this something music. to be found. You know, you yeah. don't. I mean, no one sits down now and says, "Oh, I remember that. Remember season three of Family Ties?" And you know, no one talks well, actually, that way. I do, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were successful. These were really successful mm. sitcoms. Yeah. You know, yeah, Family Ties, and I can't even think of any others now. But what about the Simpsons? Oh, well, no, the well, Simpsons. Yeah, I think certainly the first six or seven, maybe maybe ten. Um, and so I don't know why, what it is about it that you want to constantly because go back it relates, to. It. It's because it amounts to an implicit philosophical analysis of ordinary life. Ordinary yeah. life c- continues. Yeah. And so the analysis can apply in different ways to new situations. But yeah. it also, it, it never forget, So forgive me for the crazy analogy here, but MASH. So, mm. so MASH is also seen as a, a very revolutionary mm. show, uh, particularly for the way in which it took the sitcom format and uh, in, injected drama and, and pathos in, into that material. This is not to undermine that because it's a, it's a great show, but I always found it a little bit obnoxious when MASH decided to put on its serious pants and you'd lose the laugh track. You'd have all these somber speeches and characters kind of emoting and weeping and yeah. stuff. Again, it was powerful, but it, it was almost like it was yeah. ashamed of its self being a sitcom whereas and, Seinfeld yeah. revolutionized things it unapologetic would, yeah and it but it still was a it was a sitcom there were still I'm, funny lines there was still I'm not sure about MASH in that way like it, it, it the ethos in MASH was this sort of high-minded liberal humanism um, a sort of mid-century um, progressive liberal humanism uh, I've got a lot of time for that and I find it very um, sort of meaningful myself and you find it in other cultural products of the time like the peanuts cartoons for example right so but but the humor is an essential part of that the 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 difference between mash and peanuts on one hand and and seinfeld on the other though is that that though um uh yeah, though mash and seinfeld aren't looking for traditional answers they do think that there's something serious and 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 valid to to live by in the end you know what that is is more is more experimental and exploratory and it's a sort of it's the it's a sort of a, 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 a you know a, something that that you don't want to be very rigid about in in contrast to you know um to to traditionalists but but it's still real and solid and something that that you should live by and i don't think that 
That's in MASH. That's in MASH. But not in Seinfeld. Yeah, it's in MASH and in in the Peanuts. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I I, I mean more about um, the way in which it embraced the medium itself. Like Seinfeld never... But but humour isn't... isn't, What I'm saying is humour is not uh, antithetical to that... To high-mindedness. To the high-mindedness, yeah. yeah, I thought what Colin was saying was that at those points, MASH is sort of breaking a cardinal rule of good storytelling and that is don't tell. Yeah. Show... But don't just come out yeah. and tell the audience what to think, and, which and also, I don't think Seinfeld ever really does. Well, yeah, also more that Mash, and, and again, this is not a criticism because I, I very much admire Mash. I, I just mean more that when they wanted to break from this is just a comedy series again about a very serious subject matter that's infused with darkness and danger and death but it, it, when it wanted to break from those conventions it would do like a documentary episode or or Alan Alda would direct and literally the laugh track would go away and it would be you would question whether or not it was actually a comedy anymore because it just seemed I think, like I a, think a, that, a last episode, that last episode was super yeah, serious exactly. and just for like a different TV show and it was almost there was almost a sense in which they were like well we have to give up well, we have to put aside the conventions of the sitcom medium in order to tell this more serious sure, yeah. tale. That, Whereas Seinfeld never did that. Like, like it, it did many revolutionary things, you know, the, the Chinese restaurant or the parking garage or, uh, <laughs> you know, the, these sort of subversions of your expectation of what a television show should be. But it still retained that idea of there has to be uh, these laugh lines, there has to sure, be the sure. sort of snappy yeah. banter and yeah. things like that. No, that's, take, that's what no, 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 I think you're right about that. And I think, I think um, Steve was right about that, uh, about the... Uh, the, the preachiness that you get in, in something like MASH when they when they decide to, to do something serious, you know. Yeah. Um, and and one thing about Seinfeld is it's never, never, never preachy. That's you know? that's what I was badly trying yeah, to articulate. Yeah. That, that idea that they just went, no, we're a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe we've got these uh, ideas that we're going to present in a way that subverts your expectation of what a sitcom subject matter might be but they still said we're a sitcom we're still going to have Kramer bust through the door we're still going to have like wacky sort of secondary B characters we're still going to and when they do do that uh, yeah so so um, this connects to something we were talking about before but the the Chinese restaurant episode um, it's really got it's really an existentialist playlet you know like like nothing happens there's this continual suspension of any action so there's this feeling of... I actually get hungry when I watch it. You get, <laughs> because I, I, you get hung, I want someone to go and eat. Specifically for Chinese. Yeah. You get hungry, but there's this also feeling of interminability. It's like, oh, you know, how long? Five or ten minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's always five oh, or ten five minutes. minutes. And it's totally yeah. uh, waiting for Godot. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Waiting for Cartwright. 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 Is there a vocal for I'm Cartwright. Cartwright. And they did that a few times. I mean, there's the when when they're heading to the party and all of the misadventures on the way to the party or... The, the subway, the subway, absolutely, yeah. or the car park. Uh, I mean, it's it's a an, a concept that they return to constantly, but but oh. structurally, again, it's lack of telos. It's just yeah. it's one thing after another, continuing rep- repetitiveness. It's without any any completion at all. That's the, genius. But so I sometimes find on that note that when they actually find when they, in those episodes they did actually end up going to it. Like I was felt the sense of relief. Like oh, they actually had, they actually and are they, changing it up. Like they, and what happens when it. they get to the party? Yeah, yeah. Give them the wine. They give them the wine. They get the hell out of there. Like it <laughs> yeah. wasn't worth it. Like yeah, yeah it was. It, which is interesting in itself. All this effort to achieve something, and at the end of the day, it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. A kind of nihilism again. It builds that expectation, <coughs> Yeah. Well, actually, we mentioned earlier the Simpsons, and one. Th- well, one thing that both Seinfeld and The Simpsons had in common, and arguably 
you know, two of the they best were shows ever. Mm. Were they? I don't remember that, but <laughs> I do were, remember yeah. that they were both uh, anti-heroic. Yeah. Yes. So the same thing in The Simpsons. It was sort of the anti-hero, um, the idiot man, um, the bratty kids. No one there really. Well, I mean, you had Marge, but but it, these are sort of shows. Marge, who no one listened to. Yeah. And Lisa on her high horse is really annoying. Yeah, but I wonder. <laughs> but also, this stop... mockery of the pop culture of the time. I well, think is very yes. Uh, I guess what I want to ask is, um, what's going on culturally at the time where these shows, and Seinfeld in particular. Why was Seinfeld successful when probably in the 1960s it wouldn't have been successful? Like, what well, they wouldn't have thought on? to make it in the 1960s. Yeah. I so do have a happened? theory about that. Yeah, well, what's your theory? Colin? Well, it, specifically to do with sitcoms. I mean, both mm. of them are anti-sitcoms in that way. So, as you said, Simpsons is designed around subverting all of the traditional tropes of the sitcom. Mm. So, the, you know... As, as and of the Flintstones, Brady Kids, the cartoon sitcom, certainly yeah. true. Um, and Seinfeld is is the same. It, it maybe it's more in the Friends kind of mode that it's concerned it's with. Not mention those two shows in the same sentence, please. No. <laughs> they're, all, they're all part of a shared universe. They are. Kramer is in Ooh. Mad About You. Well, Mad About You. Oh, that's his mock. Yeah, yeah, but they connect them, and yet. They don't belong in the same... No, no, no. Universe. Well, they mock it. That's what Susan likes to watch. And Susan is the epitome <laughs> of banality. Yeah. She's boring. Mad yeah. about you, son. Yeah. You know, George sort of just goes back to his prison cell to watch Mad About You as that episode ends. But I mean, but, seriously, but, but, culturally, nihilism. Why did nihilism work? Is this postmodern culture? In the late going? 80s. We're so. talking about the late 80s. Late right? 80s, early no, 90s, 90s, when yeah. this stuff takes off. Because Gen X. I, th- I think we were moving to the end of uh, that kind of faith in traditional... Well, the <laughs> traditional sitcom formats had been uh, played out at that point. Like, you couldn't have, you know... Was that My Three Sons or whatever? Family <laughs> Ties a, is or, a good example fa- of that. Well, Family Ties is about like generational yeah. kind of, uh, you know, the change from the baby boomers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but you're right. Fundamentally, like it was still... based or just... And know. sentimentality yeah, exactly. and, and the family can come together. Whereas... And, and I think that just naturally television was trying to break away from that. Like, it, it, the 80s is just filled with... These high concept, stupid, like the the little robot girl and Alf. I mean, Small Alf was mother. like the most popular thing on TV. So Punky it was like, Brewster, Punky, absolutely. So it was. Yeah. The people were trying to break that mold by throwing crazy nonsense into the, that genre. But you needed something like Seinfeld or The Simpsons to come along and just go, no, 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 break the whole thing. Like it's it's not enough to just put one weird element into this mix and then keep that sentimentality you have to actually erode those uh, expectations and those tropes from the inside okay, this is more yeah. of a, a, a redescription of what steve's asking but than an explanation but it is interesting that uh that, that this sort of thing i think would have been seen as threatening in the in the 60s and even the 70s yes. yeah right so totally. in, even when the simpsons first came it was threatening out, in the 80s it, yeah in the I mean, george bush said, right the simpsons we need now families right. like the waltons and fewer like the simpsons right yeah. and so well the simpsons is in their imitation but anyway and actually the, the simpsons is is nowhere near as nihilistic as as some no, correct right? yeah. so there's there is there is a sort of a 
uh, an underlying sort of sentimentality in the symptoms. There is. about Homer's idiotic, but sort of, um, yeah. you know, kind of... Well, you can't imagine... It's your liberal humanism. That's the Simpsons. It is, actually. Yeah, it's You know, where Homer looks at a picture of his baby daughter. Yeah, and do that, it for her. that's why he's working. Yeah. You know, that sort of moment yeah, so, would never so, happen so, in Seinfeld. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, also, even in the episode where he gets Lisa the pony, like, there's a, yeah. there is a sweetness. And the saxophone, you know, the, yeah, exactly, yeah. bleeding gums and all that stuff. I yeah. actually think that... Seinfeld was able to get away with what it did because it flew under the radar for like three years. They were able to establish this worldview because no one was looking at them for for a while. Whereas mm. Simpsons exploded onto television, which is why yeah. you, you had the president critiquing too. it. Yeah. yeah, so people took you know paid attention to its message. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Seinfeld was able to just have its own little universe, create its own, and it ratcheted it up over time as exactly. well. So in the early yes. years, the characters were slightly different and played slightly differently. Yeah. So they were a bit more a bit less pathological no. basically yeah yeah so that so so these these ticks seemed like part of them but not the whole they didn't they were yes. made up of they definitely lent into them over right, time right and then and then that, that that sort of they came to take over the characters later on which is so, actually my yeah my criticism of the later seasons i mean aside from just tonally it became very different yes. but say a character like george george is unrecognizable in the last yeah. couple of seasons you reckon? yeah but like, for example that. early on jerry um a lot of the, the humour is about his anxiety about doing the right thing. You know, do I greet um, yeah. this person or not? You know, um, and that sort of uh, you know implies some sort of respect for other people at some level. You know, mm. well later on, it, it's it's completely um, uh, that that that's that's left out. I don't know. Jerry is upset earlier on, so in the first few seasons, when he does something or wrong. Offends, yeah. So the pony, pony remark. remark. Yeah. 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 Whereas later on, yeah. he'd be callous and indifferent. Exactly. Which yeah. is, which is mm. sort of the show, the, the nihilism coming out too strong. It's telling it. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, Mark, which is one of the reasons those last few seasons, in my opinion, I think in many here, it was just totally inferior. Yeah, yeah. I um, agree. Because the, the, the earlier episodes, the earlier seasons got at things that, that are genuinely part of the human condition. So in the pony remark, right, how does it work? So you have um, Jerry um, saying, you know, he's at his, I think his mother's cousin's dinner and he's saying, you know, the, the idea of, of kids with ponies comes up and he says, oh, you know, who doesn't hate kids with ponies? And then... I had a pony. I had a pony. And you know, yes. back in Poland, we all had ponies. My so sister had a pony. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the source of the joke there is that actually, in context, what Jerry said is innocuous, right? Mm. He's talking mm. about, he's not yeah. showing disdain for her sort of person. Yes. Sort yeah. of person. He's showing disdain for sort of a, an entitled Upper East Side kid yeah. who also happens to have a pony while living in New York City, right? That sort of person is the sort of person he's yeah. talking about as being annoying. While she, the, 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 cousin, the mother's cousin is taking it to be directed yeah. towards her sort yeah. of person. He's yeah. trying to, so what he's trying to do is explain, look, actually, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah. You know? And that, firstly, it, it's... It, and they show those pictures of immigrants on ships. I never saw one with a... 
was I was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because because you're right. Like it's it's about context, was and it's about wrong? them them That's bringing what... their own personal perspectives mm. to these interpretations. But, but the thing is, uh, it's about context, but it's about um, the feeling of entrapment you get when you're misunderstood. When the context you're yeah. speaking from is taken is 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 shifted out from underneath your That's feet. Exactly, yeah. Other context is put in yeah. place. But that happens all the way through, mm. even in later episodes like uh, the library with Mister Bookman. You know, this well, is that's, a, that's, that's an early one, yeah. yeah. Okay. Season four, yeah. I think. Is that three? Three or four, Okay, so actually, weirdly, this this is a case where there's not the same vulnerability on Jerry's part, that's true, but still, what happens with his bookman insists on interpreting him yeah. as, you, know, you and your good time buddies. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. all a big joke to you, isn't it? You know? um, and, and, and Jerry's like, oh, come on, you know. Yeah. But, but this is, I think, my, my theory, and not theory, it's just clearly the case, that Larry David went through his whole life having this happen to him and, and noticing it like noticing yeah. what happens when in from the context you're doing the thing in the thing makes sense but then people insist in you know for one reason or another on on seeing it in a context where, where your your actions are discreditable right um so mm. that's that's and and that's that's something that happens to every it also in that episode it ties into the book that he's borrowed Yes. Right. Which yeah. sends a message yeah. about his values. Yes, to exactly. Know. Well, yeah, one thing I, I mean, I don't judge a man for the music he listens to. You wear shoes when you walk yeah. into the New York Public Library. Mm. Well, that character Bookman. Um, one of the fa- my favourite things about the show is every now and then they have a throwback to sort of the personality type from an old detective film. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've always loved that. So, yeah. um, or, or from an old sort of film noir. Yeah. So. Um, you know, oh, um, like the scofflaw? Well, like no, well, like Newman when he uh, like the cop who's after the scofflaw. I mean, well, not no, not quite. It's like when Newman encounters um, Kramer's mother, and they sort of she says, "Yeah, yes. can I have a yeah, cigarette?" Yeah, exactly. And Don't mind if I do. That's right. You look like trouble. You know, just see yeah. bad lines from old wives. Exactly. That's right. Brilliant yeah. the way they. Do. And actually, the Elaine's dad, the person who plays Elaine's dad, oh, was, a, was apparently man. a feature in old cop movies uh, and so on. And yeah. was a was a sort of wow. dark, brooding, yeah, scary sort of figure. I always thought yeah. that in Book that scene, yeah. in that scene with Jerry and George, when he's talking about, you know, I knew a funny guy. They shot his brains out of his. <laughs> <That's, laughs> like, the actor's trying not to laugh while he's. Saying no, that well, thing. they do it also in the episode where Kramer goes to Los Angeles, and the two yes. cops. Are, oh. I found this on her person, on her person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, all that scene where Kramer's being inve- interrogated in the in the interrogation room. Yes. That is exactly like the, those old movies. Well, it's incredible how they can just take a whole bunch of genres and, and replicate them perfectly. Yeah. I mean, this show is just genius. Yeah. It, it is, it is isn't it? And just going back to George for a second, you, just from what you said before, I think the whole show, the whole ethos, the humour behind it makes a lot more sense when you realise that George is basically Larry David, sure. who, yeah. wrote, who, yeah. made, who yes. mostly wrote the show, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. Look, he and Jerry. That's right, yeah. But there's in, in um, Curb Enthusiasm, when Jason, Al- when Jason Alexander is talking to Larry David mm. and Jason Alexander sort of telling Larry David how George is just based on, yeah. on him. He's and Larry jerk. David's sort of... Yeah, and, He's yeah. Ja- and Jason Alexander's saying how awful the character is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry David's really that, offended. That, that really happened. Didn't that actually happen? <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, that he was I offended heard... when people said how awful no, George was. No, no, no. Was. That Jason Alexander actually said how awful he thought the character of George was to Larry David and he said, this so, is based on me. Oh, well, they a... do that in Kerber Enthusiasm. That was a great it might have happened It was an incredible exchange if that was real. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so the the story is that in one of the early seasons, I think they talk about it on the DVD. 
Jason Alexander... Is this, sorry, is this Curb Your Enthusiasm or Seinfeld? Is Seinfeld. Jason Alexander took issue with something in a script and uh, went up to Jerry and, and Larry and said, well, first of all, this is completely unbelievable. And even if it did happen, no human being would ever respond <laughs> in this way. And Larry David said, what do you mean? That happened to me and that's exactly what <laughs> On, um, on the, the similarity uh, between the characters and the actual real life people, I, um, I went on the Kenny... Kramer tour in New York oh, City really? in uh, 2015. <laughs> Still te- running. Wow. Let me tell you, Kenny Kramer uh, is Kramer. Is they are really? the same people. We went on a bus tour with Kenny Kramer. So he still does it. He st- well, he was doing it a few years ago when, when my wow. wife and I did it. Makes and and money. Michael Richards just got him perfectly, even to the point where we're on this bus tour and uh, Kenny Kramer standing at the front taking the tour, which Kramer did in the he actual does, show. Yeah. Yeah. And Kenny Kramer asks a question. He says, you know, you know trivia question, everyone. Uh, what is Jerry Seinfeld's address? Mm. And no one knew, but my wife knew. Yeah. And so, you know, she yelled out the answer. And then he, and he says, I've got a prize for you. I've got a prize. And he comes up into her and gives her this. He's totally serious. Two yeah. musketeers, though. He, well, <laughs> he gives her a, an old doggy baseball card. And says, "There's your prize." And and, and he, he, this guy was serious. Like this is the crappiest prize you've ever had in your whole life. It is could be life imitating art, though. Do you think he's become but, like the? Yeah, it's yeah, not just life imitating art. Think about it. It's it's um, life, which is Kramer, inspires art, which is the sin, which is the mm. show, inspires. Life, which is Kramer, Kenny Kramer doing the thing, yeah, which, which inspires, inspires art. the art, which is um, which is the the show about Jay Peterman. That's yeah, right. You know, so telling that's, his stories. He's telling his stories. Wow. And, yeah. and, 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 but also, also there's a JP Newman, the real JP Newman yeah. tour in the thing. So that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's how meta the whole show is. Elaine, feel free to throw yourself in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that we have to dwell on it, but you sort of asked earlier, Colin, about things that were groundbreaking about the show. Mm. The show was regularly absolutely obscene. That's true, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that was unusual. I mean, Master yeah. of Your Domain, yeah. Shrinkage, these are uh, things. And other that, things, yeah. which are, are too even prudish to mention. Spongeworthy. Yeah. Yeah. These are things that would never be mentioned. No, and, and for the age from memory, sort of, um, I remember hearing in the odd church service Seinfeld being condemned as just immoral. I mean, mm, for the time, right. uh, from uh, sort of in its discussion of sex and sexuality, uh, when you actually think about what they're talking about all the time, it is, it's obscenity. Because yeah. again, it's, it's context and <laughs> it's grammar the because they, they are talking about these subjects, but because of the, uh, the way in which the dialogue functions, yeah. talking around these things, like, like again, these absences yes. in human experience that they are articulating and just debating, but because they don't use particular words, instead they find other sort of phrases. Coining, in fact. But then those become tropes themselves. Well, exactly. But but it's it's fascinating the way that the subject matter itself is made almost fluid in the way that it's talked around or about. It's incredible. And it's it's one of those things where I think that... Seinfeld, in some ways, hasn't aged well. You could argue in in just in, <gasps> in, in, in like in the fact you know that the, a lot of the problems revolve around the fact they don't have mobile phone technology. Right, course, like you know, yeah. you're waiting for the payphone, or you don't know when you're meeting up with this person, whatever. But the actual, but all the instances that come out of just living life, I think, I think actually are universal and probably last forever. Those anxieties, yeah. if seen, you know, if attached to different problems. But. Although I have noticed that you do have to make sure that the person you're talking to is also a Seinfeld fan before mentioning certain quotes from the film because it might just completely go over their head. 
Like I was actually one of my friends a little while ago and we were talking about Seinfeld and she said, I find pastrami the most sensual of all the cured meats. <laughs> and well, I the, laughed. Salted, the salted cured meats. The salted <laughs> cured meats. And she, and she said, thank God you actually got that because I've said that in parties and everyone just looks at me. She's <laughs> like, you got to pick your crowd. A butcher said it to me the other day. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe as an extension of that, that question of how revolutionary the, the show was, uh, what impact do you think it's had on contemporary television? Like what... DNA of the show do you think has been passed on to new programs? that we watch contemporary television. <laughs> I think shows... What is contemporary like, television? Well, say like Curb Your Enthusiasm is an obvious yeah. one because obviously... I, well, that, because that, that's basically Seinfeld without any restraints. Yeah. Season 7 of Curb Your Enthusiasm is well, a yeah. perfect continuation. It's, it's not really... I shouldn't say, it's Seinfeld without Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. And I mean that's it's purer it's, and, and in some ways yeah better, it's uh, yeah but it's also uh, harsher isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but you don't get you don't you don't get the exquisite dialogue though because yeah. it's that's like it's more nihilistic. It's more obscene. It, it's you get yeah. the distilled essence mm. without the formal. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think a show like Community. Oh, there are lots of shows like reference. that yeah. that you, you wouldn't be what they are without Seinfeld. Very true. Yeah. What about you? Th- what do you think about the fly on the wall shows like The Office or Parks and Recreation? I don't know that The Office is directly indebted to Seinfeld. It's very. I mean, it's really. I know it's it took off in America, but the the original pure Office is English, and I don't think that owes a lot to Seinfeld. And the, the mockumentary. I mean, there is a, a broader category of the um, yeah the mockumentary, the, the, but the broader category of the uh, the comedy of awkwardness, which yeah sort of do fall into. But I do think you're right that. Um, that the office would come from the more narrow mockumentary yeah. um, uh, tradition, starting from probably um, Spinal Tap or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's very different in the sense that the office retains the sense that the norm is good, mm. you know, and that there are bad bad people, and, and so it's got the, the romance. It, it seems to, in some respects, have a traditional sitcom direction to it's it. It's got a Seinfeld quirkiness, <clears throat> though, I would it say. It does, yeah. Yeah. Possibly one other legacy is that the distinction, certainly from when, when I remember in the 80s, between the family sitcom and the adult sitcom, yeah. the adult show, that's been, complete, to me, that's been completely obliterated. And so shows that whole families would now sit down and watch, like maybe Big Bang Theory. Um, <sighs> in the yeah. 80s, that would have been considered more of an adult kind of a show. Yeah, and that's, show. that has sort of obscenities. And, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, you know, what are the sort word. of family sitcoms now that are really Bluey. wholesome? Uh, Bluey. <laughs> Bluey. Bluey. Oh, Bluey is a decent family But that's sitcom not a, that's not a family show. For seven minutes. No, it's Very meant for kids. But well, that's a yeah, the children as opposed to sort of like family ties, a family sort of show. That's right. As opposed to uh, maybe um, Cheers at the time, which is probably more directed towards adults. That's true. Mm. But do we have that sharp distinction anymore? Did Seinfeld kind of... Obliterated. Obliterated over time. Mm. Yeah, and also The mm. Simpsons as well, I think. Yeah, and because The Simpsons Because it looks like too. it's a kid's show because it's a cartoon. Yeah, you don't get South Park without The Simpsons. Maybe it was The Simpsons sure. more than Seinfeld. Or The Family Guy, I definitely know. wouldn't have without Simpsons. Yeah. Mm. And maybe just uh, the, the anti-heroic element, the, the, the idea of the anti-hero um, is more common now in, in TV comedy than... Uh, it would have been in the past. Someone like, I mean, I guess Veep, obviously, you know. That's oh, yeah. Know. I haven't watched and that. Apparently it's good. Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so just people behaving badly, I guess, is, and, and, and being motivated by... Mm. It is a delicate balance, though, because part of the reason I asked this question is because I was curious to see what other people thought because 
to me, aside from like a Curb Your Enthusiasm or a Veep, uh, I hadn't thought of community, so I'm, I'm grateful mm. for that one. But I, I only see negative examples, like like pale imitations. Things like, and I'm sorry for people who are fans, but uh, like Big Bang Theory or uh, How I Met Your Mother, these things that yeah. kind of emulate what they think yeah. Seinfeld was. So in, in the case of How I Met Your Mother, they try and concoct these ideas that they, like, suit... Wearing, there's something about a suit, like wearing a suit and, and yeah. uh, living your life through a suit or something. With something that I think they imagined that a character on Seinfeld would articulate, well, but it's the difference totally is artificial. the sentimentality. Mm. Still, How I Met Your Mother is sentimental. Yeah. You know, the voice at the end. And, and but it also feels is... contrived. Like, yeah. and, and maybe that's true across the board with that yeah. show. It's, it's all contrived. It's all about... That's you know, certainly the sense I get from those kinds yeah. of shows. But Whereas yeah. Seinfeld's more organic in that well, sense. I think that one of the elements that, that all these miss is sort of a... And one of the things that connects it to high literature is this sense of entrapment. You know, so you get so this is the entrapment you get when you know, a mild example is when when Jerry's misunderstood in the in the pony remark case. But you get that sort of feeling that that, that society is is um, misunderstanding you all the yeah. time, and that that's yeah. a that's a so it's it, it's a bit like um, you know um, take Kafka's The Trial. You know, um, you know you're you're you've been um, someone was telling lies about Joseph K. I must have been telling lies about Joseph K because one day, one fine morning, without any reason, he was arrested. Um, you know, you're, you're, you know, no one's, had, no one's judging you charitably. You know, people are going to yeah. judge you uncharitably. That, that sort of, um, and the sort of resentment that, that comes from that, which I think is what, what which ironically them. they then project out yeah, onto yeah, everybody yeah, else. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, So you know, they project that attitude out onto the rest of society. So they're basically saying, you know, to hell with you. If you, if you're going to treat me uncharitably, then, then you know that that. It's my reaction to that, you know, which is it's an injustice. This is the thing. Yeah. There's this feeling of being treated unjustly, but not being able to articulate that well, and, well, and yeah. not having that injustice an recognized. Eye for an eye. Yeah, and that's and that's the underground man type attitude. So is that as close as it gets to sentimentality? That the world is judging you unfairly, so you stick with your clique. You have your four friends. You know, there's four little community. You'll understand each other. You'll give each other the benefit of the doubt, while the cruel world circles around you. Well, that... it's, it's all. It's, I think. I think. Yes, you're correct, uh, Colin. But to me, one of the things that constantly happens in the show, and the pony episode, the pony remark, is a classic example of the when people with personalities clash with people without personality, <laughs> who can't empathise with the fact that someone with a personality has these incredible things to say, whether they're jokes. But there are always people out there who cannot handle it, mm. and you're kind of. Because these are the people who don't who don't get the humour of Seinfeld. Well, 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 yeah, well, to hell with them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think there's a sense when you can feel a comedian's frustration. You can feel the frustration of a Larry David mm. in the show, where he's this guy who's just a comedic genius, who just feels trapped in a world with. A, filled with people who have power but have no personality and just don't yeah. get it. And they feel like they're in a prison. And that the pony remark, he makes a brilliant... It's a brilliant lo- uh, joke from Jerry. It's a brilliant bit that he does. And all he gets in response is scorn from this old bag <laughs> who just yeah. has no personality. Yeah, I, I would also throw into the mix as well, because I do think it's a component of the show, is that these characters, their personalities are their own worst enemies as well. Just, just because it, it's not it's not simply that... 
were they able to assert their true nature then and the world were to accept it that things would be fine it's you know george's every instinct is wrong you know and profoundly that, in that episode and that's, that's part of, i love that episode it's so, so good but that's that's actually if you're part, every instinct that's part of the reason for the resentment as well right so yeah so it's not a sense of, of, well, I'm being treated unjustly, but I'm actually pure. That's not the idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sense of guilt as well. So this is the, the Kafkaesque entrapment, right, mm. which is that you are being subject to this process which is manifestly, um, you know, um, it, 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 opaque and... and, 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 yeah. and un, Why should you be judged harshly at, at one level for unjust. not moving to the couch when your girlfriend's crying exactly. during But beaches. at another level, level you recognise that you're guilty as well. Yeah, yeah. so, you, are, you are broken. <laughs> you're eating out of the table. Yeah, you feel both guilty and guilty. Exactly. <laughs> very true. It when he sitting, takes that out of the bin. I declare, it was yeah. just sitting there. Yeah, why shouldn't it be judged It was clean. That's yeah. right. But is, yeah, you're, you're right. So it, it, there is the a, a sense of... Because, yeah. um, I mean, they are narcissistic. Not they are they're inward-looking people, but they're also <laughs> self-loathing people yeah, in that right, sense. Yeah. So there, there is a sense of... There is a double awareness of their yeah, yeah they're so disgusted you, you, with you themselves. You feel both innocent and guilty at the same indignant. time. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and the way and they, they the, get that off, the way they get like kind of rid themselves of that guilt, I guess, is by putting the frustration onto everybody else. Yeah, and if you're sure the critique had no legs, then you wouldn't feel as irritated by it. You yeah. can see that at some level you are. Um, this is why I love George so much. I feel like I can live vicariously all my worst impulses through him, watching him. <laughs> and can, uh, not to not to turn this into like you know kicking the last two seasons, but um, George is my biggest problem with it because he loses that that, that contradiction within himself. In the, in the final couple of seasons, he's just angry all the time. Like, yes. I think of the it's, it's a, yeah, as you say, he's a caricature. Of himself, yeah. yeah, there's that episode where they go to the car dealership, which should be a classic episode, but George. The Twix? Yeah, George just turns oh, yeah, up angry. No, it's, he's, yeah. I don't feel like his rage is really even justified. He just sort of starts mad and then remains it. But that's, the candy bar lineup. I love if, that. If, if there was a philosophy maybe that, that captures the show, I'm just throwing this out there, and we're getting back now to Jean-Paul Sartre. Mm. Is it hell is other people? Yeah, oh, I think that kind of fits, actually. Except I think that... I think that well, ties into... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that works. a bit more nihilistically than they do on Seinfeld. Well, it's, it's themselves as well. Yeah, it's that's true. It's, it's, it's... Can I um, bring up another connection um, to, to one side of this a little bit, but related to what you're saying about the references, uh, Steve, to all the, the hard-boiled cop shows and so mm. So what's great... The other one is when Nena goes to the bank... So there's the, so, so what's what the other the other wonderful thing about this show is the variety of levels of reference. So um, you know we just we just made we just connected it to, to, to Kafka a second ago, but there are explicit references to sort of literature and 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 and, uh, and high culture as well. Yeah. So and and often connected bizarrely with Dowie David's own life. So I only realised this recently, but apparently Elaine's father in the show. Is based on uh, Richard Yates, the novelist oh. who wrote *Revolutionary Road*. And the thing is that Larry David went out with his daughter. <laughs> All that stuff actually happened oh, to him. Wow. Yeah. So the the suede jacket oh, that is really? actually happened to him. And yeah, the candy cane lining. Yeah. And again, it's one of those one of those situations where you've got this guy who um, the 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 older man. Is is very confident in his own f- frame of reference and his, yeah. his 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 frame of his his scale of values, and 
you know, Larry finds himself um, in, in, in the actual incident and, and Jerry in this, kowtowing to it and sort of trying to fit himself into it and try to, try to make himself understood within that context and resenting it hugely and ending up, you know, um, uh, getting... getting, getting uh, that situation, though, is so real. You know where he yeah. says, I loved your, you know, your book. Yeah. And he says, oh, it's rubbish. He says, well, maybe some parts. Which parts? <laughs> <laughs> that, it's, everyone has been in that situation. You know, where this person is not yeah. going to let you Get, be at ease. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, is, and is, But also, um, so there's, with remarks like that, but also just more generally with, um, uh, with masculinity, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so yeah, yeah. The, the, but Lane's dad is this sort of yeah. kind of heavyweight man. man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and heavy drinker. Yeah, and and which is what I find. What do they order? Finds what they order? <laughs> what drinks like do they club order? Soda or yeah, club soda. It's like a scotch. Yeah. It's all yeah. He just written them off at that point. <laughs> That's well, it's actually probably what had happened. He just wrote them off at that point, and that he was just going to give them a hard time from then onwards. That's right. So it's almost obligatory to ask this question, but what did people make of Seinfeld's very polarizing finale? Does it matter? Is there a way to end the show? What, what do people think? I think it was too reductive. I think that was the thing that I yeah. found a bit disappointing about it. I totally agree. That, that, that Larry David writes this thing, and he he too literally interprets unexpectedly for for me because he's so subtle a lot of the time. Yeah. But he he too literally interprets the idea that they're awful people. They're not exactly. There's always a doubleness going on there, and he didn't he didn't allow for the the degree to which that they sort of don't deserve. You know, they 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 don't deserve prison. Well, they don't deserve prison, but they're not just straightforwardly. I don't um, know about that. They're not <laughs> they're not straightforwardly evil. The, the things that their the, the, their deficiencies come out of natural parts of the human condition. That's yeah. what that was. What you know, they, they couldn't easily avoid that by just. The, you know, the 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 rest of the, sh- the the series brings out how those pathologies can flourish. If you but but you have to have some. Um, everyone has these at some yeah. level in their in their in their self. Yeah. I think at some levels it's it's got elements of um, brilliance, and I think the way it introduces the idea of the Good Samaritan law and, and these people have violated it ties into the anxiety that runs through the show that somehow they cannot conform to and are in some respects at odds with say larger or yeah. a different narrative about life you know represented by Christianity for example um, which is encapsulated in the Good Samaritan so I think that's brilliant but I think the show naturally ends at the end of I think it's season yeah. 7 with the death of Susan and then walking away to get coffee I've never thought about that before actually um, I look, I actually didn't mind the ending I wasn't as outraged by it I think I did have some underlying maybe semi-conscious sense of what you were saying Amitabo about the reductiveness of like is this a little bit just a bit unbelievable that this is how this would end um, for these people, especially the, the character witnesses that come throughout the um, the trial. But I actually just thought it was really funny, and I just didn't think it maybe did matter a great deal. Um, I think in, my first reaction was kind of outraged. I'm like, oh, no, these are my heroes. I don't want them to go to jail. But then I think when I watched it again heroes. later on... Yeah, no, I know. This was when I was a bit too young to really appreciate how terrible they all were. Um, and then when I watched it a little bit... When I was a little bit older, I was like, oh, it's somewhat fitting, I suppose. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think it really mattered to me. Mm. I, I actually thought the last episode was brilliant. The only flaw I would say, and I suppose it's a fairly major one, is that them, the scene where they're watching on and watching this 
obese man get robbed? Have his, have his, I think he's didn't he have a beautiful car and then someone was stealing something it or something like that? Like yeah. that? Were they just mugging him? Was it that? I can't I remember. But they're like standing back and not just not doing anything, but they're actually mocking, mocking him, which I yeah. thought was probably a bit over the top. And that was sort of symptomatic of those last few yeah. years. Yes. But uh, overall, I think I think sort of Stephen brought it out very nicely. I think the one of the, the brilliance of that last episode is that it crystallizes exactly what is wrong with these people, and it's not that they have engaged in criminal activity over the last sort of ten years, although they actually had you know stealing dogs and and um, you know abusing <laughs> right. state mail trucks and things like stealing that. Stealing marble rise. That kind of tipping thing. cement but, into. But the good, the whole idea of the Good Morgan. Samaritan. It's not that the person, the people who walk past the person who's been mugged and beaten on the road did it themselves they haven't actively hurt this person but what they are are people with no virtue Mm -hmm. and so i thought that last episode by bringing up the good samaritan law really crystallized perfectly exactly what the problem with these people are it's not that they're criminals it's that they are human beings with no virtue but it's interesting that there's an interesting contrast i mean i agree with that there's an interesting contrast uh, between that and the very first few episodes where um, Jerry thinks of himself as trying to help Babu Bhatt, right? And, and, yeah. and, 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 and likes the idea that he will be thought of as a good person. So well, that's that, more... That, that, that really does bring out the, the, the change or the, the phase shift that occurred right. in, in the nature of the characters at some point in the series, that early on they were flawed humans... Later on, they are, as you say, caricatures and, and, and one note in, in, in yeah. a certain way. Flawed humans still defined by narcissism. He's not actually yeah. wanting to help Babu. He no, 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 uh, no, no. My mother's been wrong. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's true. He wants but, to feel good about himself. But, but I, do, I do appreciate, yeah, like, late, later on, his complete sociopathy, basically, yeah. is incapable of empathy or... Which is both unbelievable and just uninteresting. Well, those were some of our thoughts on the show about nothing that turned out to be about everything. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please do tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback, please do drop us a line. Our email is conversations at campion.edu.au. I want to thank Steve, Stephen, Amitavo, and Anna for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. And we'll be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us there. This episode brought to you by Pedantic Public Service Announcements. Dr. Amitavo Islam would like to make it clear that the Sartrean discussion of nothingness that he referred to in the previous discussion, while fun, has the potential to be very misleading as an account of the logic of the term nothing. Consider yourself warned. He adds that he is not interested in hearing from anyone who wants to tell him that he's worried about nothing. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia. But to stop. <laughs> so, nothing. Um, That's nothing. Well, it resolved itself on its own volition. Exactly. Yes, but I said momentum. <laughs> <laughs>